the good men who serve as the elders of this church have honored me with this invitation. You get my age and you don't take invitations for granted, if I ever did. And I'm happy to be here for a lot of reasons. Happy to be with Randy and his family, get to know them better. And you're the folks I expect to live with in heaven. So to get to know you a little better on this earth, I consider a great privilege and a great opportunity. Some of you I've known in days gone by, actually in school with one fellow here. That was uh, back before the war, uh, not the Civil War, but it was a long time ago. And I just, I thank the elders for letting me start today instead of last Sunday. We had a big day where I preached last Lord's Day. I burned the note on the new church building. Folks paid it off in six years. Had uh, four baptisms, an entire family, man, his wife, and son and daughter. So it was, it was really a, a great day in, in the history of that congregation that dates back to 1872. And uh, God has poured out his blessings upon it. But today I'm here, and for that I am profoundly grateful. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1 gives some pretty clear instruction to those of us who are God's people. Now, I carry in my pocket a little card that says I am legally permitted by the state of Tennessee to carry a firearm. Now, I don't have one on me. I'll just let you rest assured. At this hour where I preach, they have gathered for Bible study. And we're four miles out of Chapel Hill on Highway 31A, and I will promise you at this moment right down there, there are people, men and women, who will have a firearm. Some of the deacons, they will have them under their coats. Some of the ladies will have them in their purses. We had a meeting after the Knoxville killing one Sunday. A man came into a church over there, not a church of Christ, but he came in and killed some people. And it's like one of our elders said, who also took the training and he can carry a firearm. If somebody comes in to rob us, that's one thing. If they come in to hurt us, that's totally different. So I, I regret we live in that kind of world where it's dangerous to go to school, dangerous to go to worship, but that's the world in which we live. So the Word of God tells us to arm ourselves. Look at 1 Peter 4.1. For as much then as Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. See it? Arm yourselves with the same mind. I need to ask you a personal question. Do you know anybody that's hurting right now? What about some of you? I don't mean physically. You know, we have all kinds of things for physical pain. It ranges all the way from, a, and I'm not trying to give any publicity in any company, a leave, uh, Tylenol, ibuprofen, and an intense pain, Demerol. I'm talking about a different kind of pain. I'm talking about maybe some of you that are sitting here right now and the pain is in your heart. You'll come in with a smile on your face. Everything is fine, but inside you hurt. No, Randy didn't tell me. None of the elders have told me. The reason I know, I've worked with people a long time. 
God let me start preaching in 1950. And I've worked long enough with people to know that a lot of folks will come to a worship service or a Bible study and they're hurting. Someone's disappointed them. Maybe parents whose children have disappointed them or a child has disappointed them. It may be a spouse has disappointed them. Maybe a brother or sister in Christ, but they hurt. But this is your lesson. Now, if you're not hurting, it's kind of like a man in Nashville whose wife had just had a mastectomy. His oldest son was in MD Anderson in Houston, Texas, and they really could not diagnose what his problem really was. And that man made this observation. If things are going with you today, well, enjoy it to the fullest because it won't stay that way. Now, that sounds like a pessimistic observation, but it's a realistic statement. It, that's the nature of life, as we're going to see. So if you don't need this lesson right now, I beg you, hold it in your mind. Keep it close to your heart because someday you will need it. This is from the Word of God. I went to Oklahoma City, well, Moore, which is a suburb, back several years ago. God's grace had let me write a book, Help and Healing for People Who Hurt, and they want me to come and do a weekend seminar on, on dealing with pain and hurt. Not more than maybe six months after that, there was a killer tornado that came ripping through that area. And the very church building in which I had made those presentations, they no longer could even use it. And one of the elders, Brother Jerry Doyle, his wife had stayed on him until he finally built a storm house in their backyard. And as that killer tornado was bearing down, he and his wife and several neighbors went in there. And Brother Jerry said, when we came out, all that was left of our house was just the foundation. Everything else was gone. So I thought it ironic that I'm out there six months earlier saying, if you don't need this lesson, hold it in your mind. One day you will. And I hope and pray, God, that none of us will go through that shattering ordeal like they had over in a county not too far away three or four years ago when uh, the tornado came through and killed a lot of folks and so forth. Anyway, be that as it may. How are we going to arm ourselves? He says you arm yourself with a mind to suffer. Now, the book of 1 Peter in your New Testament is a lot like the book of Job in the Old Testament. We all know that Job deals with human suffering, the dilemma of it, why a good man like Job would suffer the way he did, lose all of his material possessions, lose all of his children in one storm. They were all in a house celebrating a get-together. Storm came, killed them all. Now, I've been with a lot of parents who just lost one child. I've walked, literally walked the floor with them. I've cried with them. I've hurt for them. I could only imagine what it would be like to get the word that all of your children had been killed in a storm. But that happened to Job. That's not the end of it. Then he lost his health. You know, if you have health, you're rich. 
you really are. And if you don't have it, you probably think, man, I remember one day when I had it. I've developed stenosis. I've got a nerve in my back that's not working, it's not firing just right. And uh, I've been to surgeons and I've been to doctors. And so I've been told by a surgeon, as long as you don't have pain, don't have surgery. I'm blessed of God not to have pain. It's just awkward getting around. You know, sometimes I even dream about being able to walk like I once did. And I have to work real hard not to envy people that, that can walk like I guess all of you. I would just say if you can walk, be grateful to God. It's a great, great blessing. But how are we going to arm ourselves to suffer? Okay, here's the first thing. You arm yourself with anticipation. With anticipation. In the book of 1 Peter, you read about suffering in every chapter, all five chapters. You read about suffering. And you read so much about suffering with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to take you back to chapter 1 after, and, and we'll have occasion to come back to it again. But after Peter had talked about the hope that we have because we have something reserved in heaven for us, he said in verse 5, You're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. When you greatly rejoice, amen, you greatly rejoice, though now if need be, you are in heaviness through many or manifold trials or temptations. Now here's how serious it is. It's serious. It really gets. Knowing that the trial of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. And he finally says it might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Question. Have you ever had your faith tested? Now, I'm not asking, have you ever been uh, in a school situation where the professor was trying to destroy your faith in the Bible and faith in God? I've been there, and some of you probably have been there. The line I kept hearing in graduate school was, once you're educated, you can cast off faith in the Bible and other superstitions. We had some lively discussions in some classes in that school, and I was finally identified as a religious fanatic publicly before classes, a religious fanatic. Been called worse things. I've been called worse things at 2 o'clock in the morning long distance. But, you know, I came out of that situation not with my faith ever tested. Not really. I went into it knowing I would be taught by agnostics and atheists, and, and I was. So I went in armed, you know, for my faith. But let me ask you, have you ever buried a child? Now, that'll test your faith. I buried one. You know, you ask the question, why? Have you ever been told by the doctor, has he ever put the C word on you? I've had folks who say, you have no idea what it's like unless the doctor puts a C word on you. And I know what that C word stands for. We had a situation when I was preaching for the church at Creve Hall. A teenage young man came down with Hodgkin's disease. The, the, vicious kind, 
and through a whole lot of prayer and some medical expertise, he was delivered from that. And no more than a year later, his father, one of our faithful members, was shopping at the supermarket and fell dead in the aisle from a heart attack. And then probably two years after that, I got a phone call that the mother, the wife, really the widow, was over at Centennial. She'd had a mastectomy. So I'm on my way over there praying to God for wisdom. What, what do I say to this lady? I went into her room, and after the typical chit-chat, you know, good to see you and all of that, I said, uh, Nancy, I've come over here today to ask you a question. She said, what is it? I said, now let me preface my question by telling you I honor your right not to answer. All right, what's your question? Have you been, been asking why? And it was like I'd flipped a light switch. Why? She said, over and over and over I've been asking why. I said, well, I've come to ask you to change questions. She said, what are you talking about? I've come to beg you, change your question to what? Not why. What? What can I do with these circumstances to, to still glorify God with my life? I said, you and I may never know the answer to the why, but we can sure answer the what. What I will do. I tell people that are suffering and say, you know, why? Don't be embarrassed over that. Jesus asked why, didn't he? When he was baptized in suffering on the cross, didn't he say, why hast thou forsaken me? So don't, don't feel guilty by asking the why. But try to change questions. We're talking about real suffering here, folks. We're talking about a trial of your faith. And you know, you work with folks and I work with folks who go through ordeals that you know, you wonder, how, how do you go on? How do you hold on? I have a friend I've been trying to encourage for the last 15 years down in Alabama. He's, he used to be a preacher. He can't preach anymore because for 15 years he's been flat of his back in a hospital bed in the home from multiple sclerosis. And I, every chance I get when I'm in that area, I go to see him, try to encourage him. Now, I know he's had some down, down moments in all of those years. But I've yet to hear him complaining when I go to see him. Maybe just, you know, takes a better attitude for my, my sake. Now, I've actually asked God why with regard to him. I'd been on the phone with him one day about 30 minutes. He was saying about all the intense pain he was going through. And I just got on my knees and I said, God, why is this man having, having to suffer like that? Why do we suffer? Well, unfortunately for humanity, Satan brought sin into this world and radically changed God's creation. Now, you go back to Genesis and read about what God had done there. That beautiful garden for Adam and Eve and... Uh, Yet Satan came along, and, and he radically changed that. And he brought suffering into the world. Now, evidently, before Satan came with sin, people weren't, Adam and Eve weren't suffering. I mean, they had a utopia. 
They were living in a beautiful, beautiful environment. But all of that changed. And sometimes, just because we live in that kind of world, in this world, you get old. If you keep living, you get old. And uh, things don't work like they once did. Heard about a fellow that woke his wife up. He said, honey, I'm dead. I'm dead. She said, you're crazy. You're not dead. Why do you say you're dead? He said, nothing is hurting. Now, you young folks, you can't appreciate that. But you live as long as I have, and you will really understand that statement. I had some new little business cards printed, you know, with my dress and all. And I tell the folks down where I preach my relationship to that church, now my 12th year. Right up the left-hand corner, I got my name, and I have Evangelist Churches of Christ. And then right under that, Servant Riggs Church of Christ. That's how I relate to that church. Now, my new ones I've just had printed. I've got a little statement down at the bottom. And God willing, in July, I will turn 82. And my little statement says, I'm 82 plus, but my mind is still tarp as a shack. So, <laughs> like a lady in Huntsville, Alabama, gave me a needlepoint, little old poem of a thing. Said, I can see through my bifocals, my, my, my bifocals, my dentures fit just fine. I can live with this arthritis, but I sure do miss my mind. And I've been trying ever since to figure out why she gave me that. She must have heard me preach or something. But, you know, sometimes you have to really suffer in this old world because that's the nature of life here. I read in an old book one time, man that is born of woman is few days and full of trouble. You read it too, Job 14. Here's the man that was in trouble. Here's the man that was suffering. He said, few days, full of trouble. That's why Brother Tucker would say, if things are going well with you now, enjoy it because it won't stay like that. That's just being plain realistic about it. So when I think about another reason we suffer, Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, if when, uh, what glory is it if, when, if you're buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if you do good or well and you suffer for it, that is acceptable with God. Now, a lot of folks suffer today because of choices that they have made that are most unfortunate. Yeah, I, I cannot do a liver transplant for a fellow that's destroyed his liver with alcohol. The more I see what alcohol is doing to people, Here's a lady in, in Brentwood, an orthodontist, relatively young woman. She'd gone through the rigors of medical school, had a good practice, and evidently a drunken husband shot her and killed her. Alcohol. When I know, I personally know people whose lives have been shattered by alcohol, I'm not a friend of, to the liquor industry. but. I'm just saying, Mickey Mantle evidently destroyed his liver. And, uh, you know, he was a great baseball player for the Yankees for years. I just think of folks I have personally known, relatives that I have had, and what they did to themselves, what they brought upon themselves. And uh, sometimes that's why we suffer. We just make foolish choices. 
And then sometimes we suffer because other people make foolish choices. You know, when I get out on the highway, and, and the brethren where I preach, they keep telling me how concerned they are with me being on the highway so much. Well, I, I understand. You know, it's, it's a dangerous place. But at the same time, it's like a coach when I taught at Freed Hardman made a chapel speech one day. He said, I just read the other day that 98% of people who die, die in bed. He said, that's one place you'll never catch me again. Well, I know a lot of folks out on the highways are killed, but I'm still out on the highway. But I always pray to God for safe travel and uh, trust his providence to take care of that. But you know, sometimes we suffer because we're Christians. And there's a lot of that in the book of First Peter. I want to take you over to chapter 4, 15, 16. He said, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Suffer as a Christian. He says, glorify God on this behalf or in this name. Yeah, sometimes we have to suffer because we're Christians. I've known of instances in a home situation where a spouse had to suffer from a non-Christian spouse. Back in the 50s, we were trying to be used of God to plant the church in Beloit, Wisconsin, Beloit and Janesville. And a lady who had obeyed the gospel wanted us to go and talk to her husband because she said he's threatening to kill me. He was a Catholic, hated the Church of Christ for some reason. Didn't know much about it, evidently, but hated it. She said he's threatening to kill me. And uh, so we go, not knowing exactly what's going to happen. But he was a reasonable person. I could tell you about instances where folks have shown me the bruises that a spouse had put on them because they were a member of the Lord's church and the spouse didn't like the Lord's church. Maybe hated it. That's suffering, folks. And uh, sometimes the name calling, you know, we used to be called Campbellites a lot. I don't hear that much anymore. But that used to be a way to kind of dig at God. You, you're just a Campbellite and, and the ways we would respond to all of that. The name calling. Like I said, you know, here I am before class of 20 people. I'm a religious fanatic. Well, Shakespeare, I don't think, was on his best the day he wrote, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never. Well, they may not break your bones, but they can break your heart. Have you ever had a person to say something to you that just cut you in your very heart? I, I really don't know, except by name, uh, the elders of the church here. I do know I respect them for serving God in that capacity. But there have been things said, I hope and pray not here, there have been things said to elders in, in the aisles of, of church buildings that should never have stabbed them in the heart. And uh, there have been things said to elders in, in the foyers of church buildings 
that should never have been said by people who are told, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, Ephesians 4.32. Now, as a preacher, I understand I'm supposed to take it. Um, and sometimes people just kind of like unload their frustration on a preacher. I hope, Randy, you've never gone down that road. I've gone down it through anonymous letters. I've gone down it through things folks have said to me in the four years of church buildings. Because I believe so strongly one time that serving as an elder in God's church is a work that takes too much criticism and too little commendation. By the grace of God, I wrote a book encouraging elders. I think it's in a third printing now. And when an elder comes to me, as, as I've had this to happen, say, well, when the going really gets rough, I read that book again, encouraging elders. My father served as an elder for many years in the congregation. My oldest son served as an elder. My oldest son was a deacon, and then they asked him to serve as an elder. He'd been an elder about two weeks, and he said, there's a lot of difference in being a deacon and an elder. Boy, it took him two weeks to really catch on. This is a different, this is a different ball game here, serving as an elder. I hope here that it can be said of you good folks what the Hebrews writer holds as the ideal Hebrews 13, 15, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as those that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Now, I'll just ask the elders, and we're not going to embarrass anyone. I just, brethren, are you serving as an elder with joy? And I know you have problems. We're going to bring you enough problems. But can you say, you know, when, when the day is done, I'm grateful to God I can serve him in the capacity of a leader of his people. You know, that's a great honor you have there. I have preached the funerals for most of the elders under whom I served at Creve Hall. And, and I can honestly say the eldership is the greatest position on the face of God's earth. Greater than a governor, greater than a president, because they deal with the here and now. Elders deal with the eternal. You are dealing with the eternal part of people. So anticipate, so arm yourself by saying, well, I'm, I'm going to do some suffering in this world. That's the nature of it. Sometimes I may suffer some simply because I choose to be a child of God. Now here's a second way to arm yourself. In addition to anticipation, arm yourself with the right attitude. The right attitude. There's a lot of that in the book of 1 Peter. Suffering will make us either, you heard this, it'll make you either bitter or better. I've personally known folks it made bitter. And maybe given the same circumstances, it would have made me bitter. And then I've known some folks, suffering made them better. I came to preach for the East Hill Church in Pulaski in 1956. The man that came worked for the city to turn our water on. I found out was an unfaithful member of the Lord's church. I thought, well, here's my first prospect in Pulaski. So I started talking to Horace about his soul and the importance of worshiping God. And he was he was explaining, well, you know, I work for the city, and then I like to run my dogs on Sunday. Had some rabbit dogs. Well, I saw Horace again, time or two, still talking to him about his soul. 
And then I got a call one day that he was in the hospital and they'd cut a cancer out of his back. I'm on my way over there praying for wisdom. I walk into his room and he started the conversation. He said, when I get out of this bed, I'll be back at church. He was a man of his word. First Sunday he was able, down that aisle he came and with him came his wife and daughter, neither of whom had obeyed the gospel. They came to be baptized. Did his suffering make him bitter or better? I'll let you answer that. Now, my attitude. For all I know, some drunk may hit me head on and reduce the rest of my days on this earth to a wheelchair. For all I know. You say, well, how would you, how would you react if that happened? I don't know. I've been called to the hospital a few times and somebody would say, Brother Tom, the doctor has said if I, if I don't have the surgery, I'll, I'll die. If I do have, it's going to be dangerous. I might die from it. What would you do? I have to say, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. I'd have to be in your sir, situation to know. When, uh, you know, they say, should we unplug? Got this loved one on life. Well, the last thing I'm going to say, yeah, go ahead and unplug. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'll just offer the options. Well, do you think your loved one would want a machine existence, for example? And if they say, why no? I'll say, well, you, you probably have your answer. You, I don't, you probably have your answer. And uh, they've wanted me to go with them sometimes when they unplugged. It's not a pleasant sight at all. What's your attitude? I'm going to take you to 1 Peter 3 because this gets to be real fascinating here. Here's a book in which he talks about suffering, suffering, suffering. Jesus suffers. We suffer as Christians. But he says, and he's quoting from the 34th Psalm here in 1 Peter 3, verse 10. He that will love life and see good days. What? Yeah. Love life and see good days. Now, if you go back to the 34th Psalm, in verse 4 you will read the psalmist saying concerning God, He delivered me from all my fears. Read on down to verse 6. God delivers the poor man out of his troubles. Read on down verse 9. I'm still in Psalm now. Psalm 34. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Fears, troubles, afflictions. And that's what he's quoting here. If any man will love life, because this is down in the 34th Psalm. If any man will love life and see what? Good days. Good days. Back about 1957, I read a book by a medical doctor, How to Live 365 Days a Year. And when I got through, I thought, 252 pages to say what Jesus said in, in basically one statement. You live your life one day at a time. You know, boast not yourself of tomorrow. You know not what a day may bring forth. Sufficient unto the day is the evil. Live your life one day at a time. Because technically, that's all I have one day at a time. And uh, he that will love life and see good days, 
Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Bear Bryant told about going to the home of one of his star players one time. He went to talk to the parents about the language this player was using, the profanity, just, you know, the filth, the profanity. And he said when he got to the home to talk to the mother to see if she could tell her son kind of clean up his speech, you know. He said, well, I saw immediately where the boy got it. He got it from his mother. Now, I'm old enough to remember a time when men had more respect for womanhood than to curse around a woman. Any of you remember that? That's a long time ago, of course. You don't curse around a woman. You know, you respect her. Man, there are women, some women today that can outcurse men. And that's supposed to be a, a mark, you know, of real, re you know, I, I'm really somebody. Brother Charles Brewer told me years ago about two old boys lived out in the country. One was a big boy and the other one neighbor little boy. They were kind of buddies. They were down behind the barn and the big boy was chewing tobacco. Boy, he'd work him up some, he'd spit out and he looked down at that little fellow and said, you chew backer? This little boy looked up and said, no, but I can cuss. So I can prove my manhood too. You know, I, I, I get totally disgusted with the interviews on television when they think that God has more than one name. They can't even respond without, oh my, and then they use God's name. But let me tell you some real serious kind of soiling your lips with vicious gossip slander, and, uh, you know, going back to our, our buddy Shakespeare, whoso steals my purse, steals trash, twas mine, tis his, tis nothing, but whoso flinches from me my good name, robs me of that, which enriches him not, and makes me poor indeed. Yeah, a good name, the wise man said, is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor than silver or gold. Let's be careful about what we say. There's an old, uh, I think it's an Arabian type of proverb. If you would keep your lips from slips, five things observe with care, to whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how and when and where. Love life and see good days? Compliment people. Commend people. I have found this to be so very interesting. Sometimes if I get real good service, I mean just, you know, two-mile type service, I will ask the waitress, is the manager here? And they all, inevitably, the response, what have I done wrong? What have I done? Nothing. You've done it right. And I think the manager needs to know that you are a compliment to this restaurant. And so the manager comes out, and I commend this waiter or this waitress. And I'm informed, you're different. You're different. Usually what we hear, criticism, complaints. I was with a friend of mine when his brother had just been tragically killed in an accident four or five years ago in Alabama. I was in a meeting. We were having a day service, and we got word that his brother, who was on the way to a field with a tank of liquid fertilizer, 
on a four-lane road, had all the lights flashing, the safety signs and everything, but this truck driver said he didn't see him in time, and he literally ran over him and killed David. And uh, so I go down with his brother, and the trooper's explaining the accident and all of that, and finally, I could, I could tell that my friend was holding back. Finally, he said, what about my brother? And the trooper put his arm around him. He said, well, this is the most difficult part of my work. I have to tell you, your brother didn't make it. I think it really hurt that trooper to have to tell him that. So when everything kind of settled down and the trooper went over to his patrol car, I walked over there with him. I said, do you have a, a business card with your name and address? He said, sure. I said, may I have one? I'm going to write to governor about you. I said, I've had a similar job to the one you had, and I was observing you, and I was listening very carefully, and you were professional all the way, and the governor needs to know about it. So I wrote Governor Riley about him. First letter I got back was from the safety commissioner of Alabama. He said, I had described the accident, where it happened. He said, I know all about that accident. He said, I was there at the funeral. Well, I didn't know him from anyone else. Then I got this nice letter from the governor telling me that my letter was different. He said, usually the letters we get are complaining. And he said, your letter is going into Trooper Ellis's file for future reference. So, love life and see good days. Try to find things to commend people for. Now, most of the time, people come out and, and they'll say encouraging things to me about sermons I preached. I've always been a little concerned if a man has slept through it and comes out and says, I enjoyed that. It was it the, the nap or couldn't have been the sermon. He slept through it, quite obviously. But, you know, sometimes people take heavy medication and they just have trouble staying awake. If you want to love life, if you want to really enjoy life, look for the good. Look for the good in people. Now, not everybody's like this. I don't call this a human being that we've been hearing about up in Cleveland. He doesn't rank in the human family so far as my personal identification is concerned. That, you know, that, that's more animalistic than human. But when I think about good folks, you know, commend them, compliment them. And it's going to do you a whole lot of good, too. I promise you. Refrain your tongue from evil and his, your lips that they speak no guile. He says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And, and watch this one. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. You want to love life? Spend a lot of time talking to God. If you're his child, spend a lot of time talking to God. And that'll open up for you blessings that you will have trouble really believing that God could be that gracious to you personally. Now, quickly, not only arm yourself with an anticipation to suffer, we live in that kind of world. Not only arm yourself with the right attitude, I'm not going to become bitter. I'm going to hold on to my God. I'm going to stay close to him in prayer. And I'm going to do everything I can to encourage other people. And then finally get your aim right. If you want to really, really endure suffering, keep your aim 
high. And the aim is heaven itself. Now we come back to 1 Peter 1. Starting in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Reserved in heaven for you. If you are a child of God, you are known in heaven. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life over there. You've got a reservation over there. God has made it for you through his Son. When you obeyed God's Son, when as a believer in him you turned in penitence to him, changed your mind about the way you had lived and the way you would live, when you sweetened your lips with the loving name of the Son of God, and submitted to the Bible command to be baptized for remission of sins, that, according to Galatians 3, 26, 27, 28, made you a child of God. You were enrolled in the Lamb's book of life. You have a reservation in heaven. And don't ever forget it. Aim high. Don't lose your aim. So whatever the suffering may be, don't ever forget. It'll, it'll be past one day. It'll be over. And then all of the excitement of God's eternity will commence to unfold to me. And I will have a forever to be happy and glad living in a body fashion like the Lord's own glorious body. Living in a beautiful place called heaven where there will be no pain and no suffering and no sorrow and no death. And it never will end. I don't care how fine you find it on this earth, how well you have it, it'll end. You're going to leave it one day. I have a little place down in Alabama. It was my grandfather's place. It's special to me. Uh, my oldest son, his wife, they're going down now. He practiced at the clinic over at Lebanon, walking clinic, but they're going down a lot now. And they, they were there yesterday, and he'll call and say, Dad's it all right if I do so and so? I say, Tommy, look, do anything you want to. It's going to be yours before long anyway. So just, you know, do what you want to with it. I'm enjoying it. I go down there, and I walk around, and I, in my mind's eye, I see my granddaddy digging a living out for his little family. I don't know why he did it, uh, but he did. But I'm not going to have it very much longer. I'm, I'm enjoying it while I can. But you know where I'm going? Brother, it'll never cease. It'll never end. It's forever and forever. Randy, did the bell ring? <laughs> I don't have my hearing aid on. So, oh, yeah, I see now. Thank you for your good attention. If I've said anything from the word of the Lord here, that will encourage you today to God be the glory.